So I want a disclaimer first. Uh, I am not a perfect parent. I'm really new at this whole parenting thing. So when I got uh, when God laid a message on my heart about kids ministry, I went and I'm I, I need like John who has adult children who's serving Jesus to preach this. But uh, so disclaimer: this is not a hey do what I do. This is more of hey this is what the Word of God says. Just so you know, and so that's the way we're kind of going to approach it today. Um, so that's my disclaimer for the day. But it is an exciting time at CLF because God has great things in store. He's been preparing people. He's been not just the staff, but he's been preparing leaders within this church for a while now. And I'm I'm excited to see what's coming and what's ahead. So I love U.S. soccer. Anybody else love soccer besides me? I know I'm going to get like four hands, but are we one, two, three, four, five? Awesome. So the women just won the Women's World Cup. Happens once every four years. And let's see, U.S. now has four Women's Cup titles. The rest of the world, uh, Germany has two. They've only played it since 91, but still. So first time in program history, it won back-to-back tournaments. I mean, I just, I watched every match that I could because I love soccer. There's some patriotic in me. I enjoy watching. But I will be honest with you, this was the hardest year I've ever had to watch. And it's really one of my pet peeves now because I can't watch sports anymore without somebody telling me their agenda. If you watched anything about the World Cup, really, more than likely, if you watched more than five minutes, you heard all different kinds of political agendas from equal pay, and I'm not pointing anything out saying these things are wrong, but it's equal pay, it's LGBT rights, it's, it's all this different stuff, and I'm like, I can't even watch U.S. soccer without somebody telling me their agenda and shoving something at me. I go on Facebook now trying to watch a video of my family, and two minutes into the video, there's an ad. I'm like, no, no, I know my cousin didn't put an ad in his video. And yet that ad is probably referencing something I searched for on Google the week before, right? I mean, has anybody ever experienced it? So it just, it really annoys me that I can't do anything anymore without somebody telling me their agenda and telling me why my life is incomplete without this thing or that thing. Why this somebody's wrong, why this is wrong. Does, that, does anybody else feel that besides me? I can't go through Walmart without somebody asking me who my satellite's from. And if you're one of those people, I am sorry. I try to be Jesus in those moments. I really do. Okay? I just need yogurt and diapers and out the door. Okay? That's it. But the truth of the matter is, I mean, don't, don't we feel that? We just feel like we are constantly bombarded everywhere we go, everything we do. There's advertisements, there's billboards, there's commercials on the radio. More and more of radio is going more to commercials than there is music, you know? And it's like we have this constant bombardment. But we need to realize that every advertisement, every commercial, every TV show, every business has an agenda behind what they're doing. Whether you agree with it or not, that's the truth. Do we understand the same things are happening to our kids? Now, this is an exciting day. We've had a lot of energy, but I also want us to have a reality check on where we're at for a second, okay? 
we can't get away from the simple fact that this world is working very diligent to tell our kids how they should live their life. If you were here last week or if you listened to the podcast, you know John talked about what is truth, right? We have the truth. We have Christ. We have God's Word. That is our ultimate truth. But the world doesn't believe in that. And so they have what they believe is truth, and they are working harder than ever to shove it down our throats. Not just publicizing, saying this is what you should believe, but actively attacking those who don't agree with them. We're not going to just simply be able to get away from that. And the people who understand that and are intelligent know they need to start advertising and pushing their agenda to kids more. And for those who don't believe me, so I started doing research this week. And it was uh, a little eye-opening. I was amazed at really how blatant um, non-biblical views were that I found and how much they are marketing kids and youth Specifically, things like abortion and pornography and gender identity and simply what values to live their life. More and more, uh, our society is pushing the teenager or even young person as young as 10, 11, 12 years old to decide for themselves who they want to be, what's important, what's true. Okay? Youth.gov. You go to youth.gov. .gov means what? Who's behind it? Your tax dollars, right? You want, to, you want to get a reality check on where you think we are as a country, go to youth.gov for a little bit. Because they think on gender identity, and, and I'm not going to get into the hotbed topics, but the things that I'm going to talk to you about are things that, if you dig into God's Word for itself, God's Word is also very clear on topics, such as gender identity, or pornography, or addictions, okay? So, youth.gov, your tax dollars at work. And the youth.gov is specifically designed for two, for really three reasons, to help teachers, parents, and kids understand who they are, the rights they have, and who they should be. Okay? So they say the gender identity is a typical development task for children and youth. Task. Exploration of gender is simply part of normal development. So when you read the article, basically what they're saying is figuring out your gender identity is basically the same thing as women coming into their period or men going through uh, puberty. It's just a normal task and part of the life is now figuring out what gender you are deciding to be. You're paying for this, by the way. What about TV? Talk about TV for a second. Number four most popular show in TV for kids TV. You know what it is? My Little Pony. Anybody ever heard of My Little Pony? Okay. Do you understand now My Little Pony, the fourth most watched show in all of the United States in kids, now has an openly gay couple raising a child. Let's talk about... We have kids in the room? A couple. Can we talk about uh, pornography for a second? Somebody needs to. So when you start doing the research, one in ten youth 
ages 12 and 13. Not high school students. You're talking about younger middle school, 12 and 13 year olds. One in 10 uh, openly believe they're addicted to pornography. One in five youth, ages 12 and 13, believe watching pornography is a part of normal behavior for their age. One in five, 20% of all youth ages 12 and 13. Where are they learning this stuff from? They learn it in church? Hopefully not. This is the alarming one to me. When kids are out of school, according this is Google research. When kids are out of school, Google says porn searches increase 4,700%. 4,700% increase when kids are out of school. Let's talk about technology. When's the last time you sat down and watched some of the TV that these kids are watching now? How much respect for parents is there in it? Normally, parents are morons and kids run the house, right? Uh, what about violence in video games? Anybody know what the number one selling video game in 2018 was? Red? No, that's an online game. That's free to play. You can kill people for free on that one. The most grossing game of all was called Red Dead Redemption 2, which is rated M for nudity, sexual content, violence, and language. And just for uh, poops and giggles, I went on to uh, commonsensemedia.com, which they, Common Sense Media goes on and kind of rates uh, video games and things like that based on sexual content, violence, everything like that. And then people can respond to it and put their own, kind of like IMBD, where you can go on there and rate it yourself. It is shocking, some of the things parents say on there. I want you to read to this one parent from... Uh, age 12 and under, or 12 plus, excuse me, says the game has blood language, but any mature 12-year-old should know this language and not be affected. That was from the parent of the child. I read another one. I didn't take a picture of this one. It said, uh, oh, what did it say about murder? Basically, it said the same kind of thing. Yes, you can kill people, but any sensible 12-year-old uh, would be fine playing this game. What about phones? Let's talk about phones for a second. Uh, half of teenagers consider themselves uh, clinically addicted to their phones. I think that's personally way too low. We have a new term in psychology, psychologists use called FOMO, right? Do you know what FOMO is? Fear of missing out. Teenagers know exactly what that is. Well, now it's in psychological today, and it's actually a used, ter a ter used term in psychology because it's becoming so common. Fear of missing out. Three-quarters of teenagers prefer texting to talking now. And I personally think the majority of these statistics are low in reality. You ask a public school teacher that. It really scares me. Um, again, please don't take this as personal. I'm not attacking anybody here. Um, I do have, because I'm in that age, 
of in my 30s and a lot of my friends that I went to college with have kids, uh, it really scares me to see the blatant disregard of parents in their 30s, 40s, and even into their 50s with teenager for how the world is working so diligently to program our kids. I can take any person, any of, uh, no, I'm not going to say this. I can literally take a phone, and it, it's, I'll watch parents online talk about the games that they buy their kids or the phones that they got their kids, and I'm like, what and who are we surrendering influence of our children to? We're seeing the results of it. Honestly. So, I'm trying to, and I want to talk very shortly. And I say short because I'm going to try to stick to my notes, read the scriptures, and so we can get out of here on time. Because um, I don't want to be here all day. I don't want to kill a dead, dead horse. But I want us to understand the importance of kids' ministry. Our kids are the future of our church. We want to talk about it's the future of our country, but our kids are also the future of our church, the future of CLF is the kids, right? We understand that. We have a responsibility as believers to invest into the next generation and to teach them God's Word. So this morning I want to get into what does God's Word talk about, how we should teach our kids, the importance of it, God's view on kids' ministry. Is that okay? Because if, if you can't figure it out by now, go home and do your own research if you don't believe me. But we are in a desperate situation and battle for the souls of our kids. Somebody needs to step up and take responsibility to train a child in the way he should go so that when he grows old, he will not depart from it. Amen? Why do we have Seeger here? Because somebody did that. And Savannah. And each and every one of these other kids, they're here because somebody did that. Who's going to do that for the next generation coming in? Mark 9, 13 through 16. Taking a child, Jesus... He set them before them, and taking him into his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me, and whoever receives me does not receive me, but him who sent me. With so many broken families in the United States alone, we need to understand it is all of our responsibility to invest and teach the children of our fellowship godly principles, godly values to teach them the Word of God. Plain and simple. God calls us to love and serve, to accept and to instruct these kids. So I want to hit some main points. First of all, God's thoughts on children. Mark 10, 13-16, it says, And they were bringing children to Him so that He might touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, He was indignant and said to them, Permit the children to come to Me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. And he took them in his arms and began blessing them, laying his hands on them. Psalm 127, 3-5 says, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How how blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gates. Now, this is not an indictment on parenting. I'm not even going to get into parenting really at all. I'm going to talk about what the Word of God says our responsibility is to the next 
generation. The truth of the matter is, God loves kids. He adores kids. He loves them passionately, deeply. And we need to understand that. And if we honestly take a step back, we would. We would know that. You know why? When's it, when, when you see a little kid get abused, how many people get really, really ticked off in that moment? Everybody, in other words? Where do you think that comes from? Who are you created in the image of? You're created in the image of God. He put His likeness in you. And the heart of God it loves kids. And he gets angry when kids are not done right, just like me and you. Or when you sit down and you see the joy on that little kid, there is something in you that is full of joy. When you see a Caitlin or one of these other babies just smiling and giggling at you, you know something inside of you melts. That is a little bit of God's heart that he put inside of you. God loves kids. Plain and simple. We can't get away from that. Number two, what, or excuse me, I love this title, Why Your Kids Aren't Good. Another fault of a lot of parents today is believing their kids are just, they're really good kids. And I'm not saying they're bad kids. But we have to understand, they will, they, I love what Alistair Begg says, Alistair Begg, I listened to one of his podcasts on children's ministry today, he said as soon as a child is born, parents need to understand you have either, you have the potential in your hands for the future Hitler or Stalin. Or you have the potential for the next Mother Teresa or the Apostle Paul. Based upon the information that you help teach them. Hitler himself, what did he say? Those who own the children will own the future. He understood it. We have to understand that the hearts of kids are not just to be good kids. I knew that would be pretty quiet for this one. Let's read the word, man. Proverbs 22, 15. What is, in the, what, what is that first word? Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will remove it far from him. I'm not going to get on discipline. I want you to understand what's the core issue is not simply he's not a good kid or not simply he's making bad choices. No, there's foolishness in the heart of a child. Psalm 58, 3-5 says, The wicked are estranged from the womb. Those who speak lies go astray from birth. Not their teenage years because they're hanging around with the wrong people. They have a sinful nature in their heart that they need the truth of God's Word to speak to. Jeremiah 17, 9-10 says, The heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart, I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. It is up to the child to make their choices on who they will become, but if they make those choices based upon the information they receive through the life they watch us live and the information that they are taught. Do we understand that? So what are we teaching our kids and who are we allowing to teach our kids? Because the truth of the matter is, what does the world tell them? Follow your heart. 
Follow your heart. You decide to feel what's best. You tell us what gender you are. You tell us what's right and wrong. You tell us what time you think you need to go to bed. You tell us what you think you need to eat. We think those little things, oh, it's just a bedtime, it's not that big of a deal. Yes, it is. Every child has a heart. What does Romans 6.23 say? That the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Back up three chapters, Romans 3.23 says what? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Our kids have a heart problem. Not just an attitude problem. They have a heart problem. And we as men and women in the church, I'm not talking to parents, I'm talking about men and women in the church need to understand when they look at my son, I don't want them to just see his actions or his attitudes. I want them to see the fact that he needs godly influences to help him understand that he has a heart that needs Jesus. Okay? He doesn't just need an attitude adjustment, some spankings, we're good. No, he needs to understand the truth of God's Word, where to pull truth from, that he needs a Savior to save his heart. Do we understand that? Are we living it? Our kids have heart problems, and they need taught the Word of God. Why? Because that's the only place that can save them. Correct? Acts talks about what? There is salvation in no other, no other name in heaven and on earth can people call upon to save them. It is only through Christ Jesus. And we need to teach our kids that. You're not a bad kid. You have a bad heart that Jesus Christ came to save. That's the message they need to hear. You're not just a rebellious kid. You're not just a hyper kid. I've been all day trying to go short. Number three, the goal of children's ministry. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Titus, I love the series we did on Titus. Titus 2, chapter, uh, yeah, Titus 2, 1 through 8 says, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love and patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderous, not giving to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers good, obedient to, to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Why does one generation need to invest into the next? So the word of God will not be blasphemed. Verse 6 says, Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded, and in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works and doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing else to say. That list will not be taught through social media on a phone. That list will not simply be taught just sitting over a dinner table once a week. That list will not be taught just in a Sunday school class on a Sunday morning. This list has to be taught by men and women investing into the next generation by living life with them every single day. And I'm not saying you have to get some of these kids in the church and go over to the house every day or take them out to lunch, but are, are, is it even in the front of our minds that that is our responsibility? 
Why do you think that, we, uh, that you hear me pump up men's, and men's breakfast and women events? Why? Yesterday, I got the honor and the privilege to go disc golfing with my son and Noah and Ryder, MJ's two kids, and Ed and Lane. And it was amazing to me because of this message and because of what we're getting ready for on Wednesday nights. It's just on. It's just at the forefront of my mind. We pull into food outlet here in Calera, and where MJ was going to run in and get him some snacks, so we go down to Clanton and play disc golf. Sitting in the car, waiting on MJ to get back, we watched as a mom with three little kids pushed a grocery cart out. Unloaded, uh, unloaded the grocery cart and just left it right there in the aisle about three feet from where it goes and drive off. And, and I looked over at Noah. I said, you know, that right there is, uh, we've been talking a little bit about rangers, which we're getting ready to talk about in a minute. And I said, that's man, that's not living the code. I said, because a ranger, man, he's, he's courteous. He's polite. He's kind and thoughtful. And that right there, um, that's not who we want to be. I said, we want a people that we want to live out the golden rule. I said, you know what the golden rule is? He said, be kind to others. I said, man, that's really close. I said, but Jesus said in Matthew, he said, do unto others as you want them to do to you. So, you know, like we like to come in here and be able to park, but if there's grocery carts everywhere, we're not able to do that. So we have to get out of a car, move the thing, and then park. I said, but when we're trying to act like kind towards others and do things like that. When we get done with our cart, man, we push it away. And Noah said, man, I'm going to get out and put it away. So Noah jumped out, put the cart away. Little moment, we were going disc golf. And I got an opportunity to teach the golden rule to a boy. That's investing in the next generation. Those are the kind of things that are going to build the character that we read about in Titus. We have to be diligent. The Word says be diligent. Diligent. Diligence in our training. I want to read this quote. This is an incredible book. It is not a uh, in your Facebook. It's a very practical book. It's called TechWise Family, Everyday Steps for Putting Technology in Its Proper Place. Um, written in Christian perspective. But this, this quote really stuck out to me. He says, a 15-year-old overcome by anxiety late at night, might once have had no choice but to turn to her parents down the hall from her bedroom for help and for counsel. Now she can send out a blizzard of text messages to friends who, completely understandably, feel obligated to respond and feel gratified by the sense of being needed by a friend. But this text and emoji-meditated social support is thin it is an echo chamber of teenagers with their limited perspectives. It keeps a whole circle of friends awake late into the night and robs that 15-year-old and her parents and possibly even older siblings of an in-person conversation, one that could be painful, challenging, reassuring, or even life-transformative. And one of the things that scares me about technology is that teenagers and kids are turning more to one another than their parents. That's scary. Do you want your 15-year-old, just saying, 
we have a responsibility as a church to live our lives in such a way that we are in diligently investing into the next generation. So those conversations, their first thought is not to reach out to a friend. Our first thought is to reach out to that person who know they love them no matter what they do. And they want to live their life like them. I can still name the people in, when I was a kid that invested in my life like that. Number four, how the how-to of kids' ministry. Deuteronomy chapter 6. So how do we live this out? Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them on a sign on your hand and you shall be, or, uh, they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gate. What practically does that look like? Keep the Word of God in front of you and your kids all the time. All the time. When they get home, do they know the Word of God's in front of them? Around the dinner table, do you talk about the Word of God? And I don't mean to sit down at the dinner table and go, all right, this is our verse this week. Say this, say this, say this. Okay, this is the sermon this week, you know. It could be a little thing. Why don't you tell them about a rough day at work and how you use Scripture to overcome your negative emotions? Why don't you apply God's Word to your own life and then invest and show your kids what that looks like and show them how to use the Word of God in a practical way in their life? I think a lot of times this doesn't happen is because we don't do it first. It starts with us. We don't feel qualified. Truth of the matter is, we're only qualified when we use it. We're not all perfect. Give me a break. Screw up all the time. I can list ten different ways I screwed up this week, Raven Joshua. And that was probably just yesterday. But I can tell you what, he's going to know that his dad loves Jesus. That I will promise you. I'm going to screw up and I'm going to make a lot of mistakes. But he's going to know I love me some Jesus. And that the word of God is central in my life. I mean, it's to the place now on Saturday mornings, he knows to not even ask me to play if I'm reading my Bible. Because he knows that it's going to be a no. Do I love my kid? Absolutely. I love God more. And I love my kids so much that he needs to see me doing those things. So, are are we living it in front of our kids? Are we keeping it in front of our house? Are we having those God conversations, the Word of God? Are we applying it to our own life so that we can apply it to theirs? So that they can apply it to theirs. Number five, what is the desired results? And I love these verses out of 2 Timothy. First of all, chapter 5, Paul is writing to a young pastor in Timothy. Uh, He's a pastor in Ephesus. He says, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you. So he knows and he recognizes that he has faith. Which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. He said, I recognize the fact that it's in you, because, and I also know that it was in your mom and it was in your granny. 2 Timothy 3 says, you, however, continue in these things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you, what does it say? Wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Timothy was that early church pastor. Maybe he was from a fatherless home. We don't know. 
We know that his mom had faith. We know that his grandmother had faith. And Paul literally says, continue the things that you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from who you have learned them, and that from childhood, not from when I invested into you, but from childhood, you have known the sacred writings, which, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. I think this is such a pivotal verse in the church and in kids' ministry today. Why? Because we can look at it and go, why are we teaching these kids these things? Why are we teaching them Bible stories? Why are we teaching them character traits? Why are we doing all this? This verse tells us. Because one day, we want Joshua to look up here and say, somebody to tell him, you have known the Word of God from childhood. And you know that it makes you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's the goal. We are not simply teaching kids good Bible stories, good character traits. We are teaching them the Word of God so that when they grow old, they know the Word of God brings wisdom for salvation through faith in Jesus. That's our goal. Why? Because our kids are broken. Our kids will be confronted in this culture with a whole lot of choices. And we have a responsibility to teach them the sacred writings of the Word of God so that they can make knowledgeable, wise choices. And I think that's a responsibility we need to take seriously. I love what me and Mark were talking about this morning, the fact that we as a fellowship are excited about the days ahead. We, we as a fellowship are getting ready, and I feel like, you remember when we did, went through the story? How many people were here when we went through the story as a church? How incredible was that period in this church? It was amazing. It was absolutely fantastic. It was like a full year focused on the Word of God. I mean, everything. Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, we're so focused on digging into the Word of God. And it's changed the lives of people. And I think that was in preparation for today. And I feel like today we are truly going to begin a new chapter in CLF where we increase our focus, our intentionality on investing and teaching the next generation the Word of God. And I don't just mean simply babysitting. And I think too many times we... It is so easy, and again, I'm not attacking anybody. I'm saying it is so easy to sometimes get our kids to church so that they can be babysat so we can get something out of the service. And I'm saying we. You understand that? Not you. We. And I think that's so jacked up. Because we have a responsibility to see those rooms as important, if not more important, than this room. Okay? So, hopefully, in the days ahead, it's not going to be Lorna's ministry and then I'm coming to here. Let me take my kids to this so that I can come into here. Understanding if you're here and if you have kids, understand that I hope the main reason you want to be here is to get your kids there. Okay? And that includes Wednesday nights. Because Wednesday nights are no longer going to just feel like a babysitting session. Savannah has worked her tail off 
to make sure that Wednesday nights for those students from kindergarten to sixth grade are word-driven. The preschool teachers have put time, energy, and lost years of their lives <laughs> trying to take care of those kids. And can I be honest with you? I believe we as a leadership have failed in helping and promoting what's important. Does anybody have any idea what's been taught on Wednesday nights over the past four weeks, five weeks, four months? Can anybody tell me what adult classes have been going on over the past four weeks, four months? On Wednesdays. God's not dead. End of me. Why? We, we, we know these. Why? Because they're about us. And, the, and that's what you hear promoted week in and week out. That's how we have failed. So one of our goals in making changes on Wednesday nights is to let you know where it's happening and where the heart of our church is. It's not just for discipleship for adults and babysitter kids because that's never been the goal. Never. Are you kidding me? Do you have any idea how much time and energy the leaders like Lorna and Savannah and Seeger and all these leaders have poured into our kids' ministry? Are you kidding me? Seeger and Savannah didn't get up here by accident. Somebody did that. So all that to say, we are going to be more diligent to make sure our kids' ministry is a lot more out front so you know what's going on. You're going to know the needs that we have. You're going to see them more often. Why? Because we want you to know how important they are to us. And we want to make sure that we value the volunteers that are in there. We have things ahead for the volunteers. We want you to understand how much we value Lorna for leading. And Savannah. And Michelle. And all these other volunteers. Okay, so you, that's one of the things. But the other thing is we want to become more intentional. So when I'm talking about the announcements for this coming Wednesday night, we've had a lot of goals and a lot of talks between staff meetings and John, or not John, Mark and I and Lorna and Savannah and Michelle have, and Michael have gotten together and tried to figure out like how, and it's crazy. I had a, a conversation with Savannah today, that, or yesterday, that God and the Holy Spirit was working in the hearts of each and every one of those leaders, telling them change needs to happen on Wednesday nights. All separate. It's not a conversation we had together. The Holy Spirit was all working. So, some of the things that are coming up. First off, know we are grateful to every each and every leader that has poured into their team, poured into the lives of the students. And I'm going to primarily talk about preschool through sixth grade. Okay, I'm not talking about teenagers because Chris and Laura have done a fantastic job with that. I'm talking specifically Wednesday nights at CLF from here on out. We want to make much more of a family event rather than a discipleship class for adults that we have child care for. Okay? So we want it to be more of a family discipleship night. Not simply we're going to teach Bible stories to kids, but we want to teach kids. We're going to still have Bible stories, especially on Sunday morning, but Wednesday nights we want to start investing more into character traits, teaching Noah how to be a man of integrity. How do we apply the Word of God in a real way? Does that make any sense? 
And as we had this conversation, it just hit me. It's like kids no longer go to work with their dads and their moms. You know that? So they don't get an opportunity to see their dads work through uh, conflict resolutions with the crappy boss. They don't get to see a struggle a mom has to provide for her kids always. They don't get to see that. So one of the things on Wednesday nights we want to focus on is really teaching and equipping our students on how to live godly, but also empowering our leaders to be able to teach more effectively. Because let's just be honest, most people that come in here on Wednesday nights just got off work. So if we make it more and more difficult for our volunteer leaders to invest, we're robbing the kids and we're destroying what foundation we have in our leaders. Can I make any sense? So, we are adding three brand new ministries on Wednesday nights, specifically ages preschool through sixth grade. And we're making them for four primary reasons. First of all, to spread the load. We have one savanna. There's not enough savanna to go around. Okay? Literally. Okay? So, the other thing is, if we don't give an opportunity for you to invest into the lives of young people, we're robbing the young people from the opportunity to learn from things from you that only you can teach them. Does that make any sense? I can't teach Ryder what Sean can. I can teach him a lot, but I can't teach him what Sean can. So we want to be able to spread the load and use our, all of our resources, not financial, but personal resources, the leaders we have, the lay leaders we have, the people we have in this church to invest into these students. Does that make sense? So to share the load there. Second of all is being intentional in our teaching. We want to become more intentional in our teaching so that it's not a hit and miss on a month-to-month basis. Okay? And part of the reason is there's twofold. First of all, it empowers our leaders. So if you're volunteering in, say, a preschool ministry, we want to be able to put things in your hands so that when you're coming in after work on a Wednesday night, you're not trying to gather materials and do all this other stuff. There's still going to be prep work, of course, but to make it easier, so that does, one, that does two things. First of all, it relieves stress in you, but it also creates consistency, and consistency is very important in young children, correct? Consistency. If they know... Say, for instance, Michelle is, is getting ready to do, directly after service today, she's meeting with all the preschool teachers, and she has been working for months, months getting ready for today. But imagine if every single week the kids knew what to expect, when snack's going to be, then worship, then this, then this, every single week. There's safety in that. Right? Just like discipline in your home. When you discipline, when you know, say, here's the boundaries, stay within the boundaries, they feel safe within those boundaries, correct? So we want to create the same thing in our leaders so we're not, from month to month, doing that. Other thing is, we want to empower the leaders so that it's not one person investing into this many kids. You know what one of the number one things that parents look for in private schools are classroom size, ratio between teacher and students. 
Why is that important? Because parents want attention from a teacher to student, correct? We want to also do that here. Okay, so that's another reason on Wednesday nights we're truly focusing on this. Number three is to give kids an identity and a group to belong to. Okay? We understand the society today is pushing kids to fall into categories. Go to Target during the month of June. That should scare the snot out of us. I'm serious. We want them to be able to say, I'm part of that, knowing that the that they're talking about, the three new ministries, are God-centered, God-focused, teaching the Word of God, led by people of integrity, and that in those groups is God-centered discipleship happening. Because that's the goal of all these ministries, is simply discipleship. We want to raise disciples because those kids are not kids. Those kids are future adults. They're future pastors and leaders and lay leaders and board members. That's what they are. So we want to start training them now to become that. We don't want to wait till they're 18 to start teaching them how to be an adult, do we? Glad somebody's on board. So, the last thing is prepare for future growth. Right now, the way things have been, since there's been a limited number of people, there's been a limited way that we have been going about things, we as leaders know we can only grow so far before it absolutely falls apart. We want to prepare for explosive growth, and we want to put ministries in place that can expand as that growth comes. Does that make any sense? So those four things are really at the heart of behind why we're changing and why we're doing things. Does that make sense? All right, so the first change I want to tell you is this. There's going to be a new starting time on Wednesday nights. We're going to start dinner at the same time, 5.30. Or 5:30. We're going to start classes and the worship service at 6.15. And we're going to have 15 minutes of worship. And we're going to, uh, you can do one of two things. You can bring your students to class at 6.15, or you can have them in here, because Micah is going to be leading in a short 15-minute worship time, just as a time to let go of the day, to focus your mind, to bring everybody together. So it doesn't feel quite so classroom, da, 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 da. does that make sense? So that we can just spend those first few minutes of just going, okay, let's get focused on where we're going. Does that make sense? So that's the first thing. Um, the other three, the, the three ministries we're going to start are, it's called, the first one's called Rainbows Club for students or preschool students, so three to five years old. And I'm going to ask each of the leaders to come up and explain exactly the heart behind the ministry, what they're doing. So we're going to have three ministries, uh, Rainbows Club for preschools. We're going to have Kingdom Girls for female students between the ages of kindergarten through sixth grade, and then Royal Rangers for men, men, boys from ages kindergarten to sixth grade. So I'm going to uh, first off ask my incredibly beautiful wife, Michelle Kraft, to come. And do we have a handheld mic? Andrew, I totally forgot to even ask you. Uh, to come and just share a little bit about rainbows. And
You heard me say two years ago when we first start talking about begin, belong, become, the core classes, if you were here two years ago, is becoming intentional with our discipleship. And we all believe it is time to become more intentional and prepare for the growth God has ahead by intentionally discipling our kids. Do we think that that's a worthy goal? Is that a goal you can support? Is that a goal you will be behind? 